All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together on a Sunday morning like this, Father. It's been a long time, Father, but we're so very grateful for your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you for allowing us to abide in said love, Father. Thank you for giving us the faculties even to love you back the way we do and to be blessed by it, Father. What an incredible privilege this is. What a grace gift. We do pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us here this morning, Father, for a variety of reasons, that you comfort them and that they know that we're with them in spirit, Father. We also pray for those that are still lost in this world, that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on that cross so many years ago to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this a reality for each one of us and as a congregation to enjoy fully. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, Proverbs 17, Wisdom. I've been absolutely loving this. I hopefully, hopefully you've all been keeping up as well. Uh, we are sort of well deep into this wisdom book already, part four. Uh, and just as a side note, whenever we study a wisdom book like this, we have to step back. That's when I read any wisdom book, whether it's Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Psalms, etc., you have it gives you this big picture perspective because that's what wisdom is, is it not? When you say something wise or when you have a wise thought, it's usually the result of a lot of little things being summarized. And that's what the wisdom books are like. And so when you read the wisdom books, it really does um, promote big picture thinking. And so that's how it's been. So hopefully you're not missing the big picture. Uh, so for us, suffice to say, we are, uh, we have begun to sort of grind through. It's not always good. Wisdom's not always pointing to something good in us, right? It might be, hey, the wise thing to do is stop doing what you've been doing. The wisdom is that that's bad. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. So as we go through this incredible book of wisdom, Proverbs 17, uh, we're sort of grinding through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, like this week's blog stated, our intent is to see it all as truth. If you didn't read the blog, please do so. It's an important blog, especially with everything that's going on in our own country nowadays. How to digest social injustice. Well, I mean, what does a, a God-fearing Christian, how do we perceive, how do we digest this without imploding? everything that's going on. So read the blog. Uh, it certainly is in alignment with the type of wisdom the Spirit's been giving us from the pulpit as of late. Uh, no surprise there. Um, in any case, as been, uh, has been the case uh, since the inception of this ministry, it's this big picture perspective that we're after. And it's that big picture perspective that gives us so much freedom. It gives us so much freedom. So we're going to look at some Holy Scripture, uh, and we're going to chew on it for a little bit, as we typically do. And as we read the following passage together, I want you to think about how long you've been studying the Word of God. I want you to think about that, okay? Whether it's five weeks, 
five years, and for some of you, five decades. Uh, I want you to think about how long you've been studying the Word of God. And I want you to think about all the highs and the lows. All the highs and the lows. All the trials, all the successes, and all the failures. And for the sake of context, even the past few months since this COVID lockdown has taken effect, I want you to think about all of it. Remember, big picture. Think about all of it. And think about since you started studying the Word of God and what God's been doing in your life to set you free. Because that's what truth does, according to Jesus, right? You'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I want you to think about all of it at once. So go to 1 Corinthians 9, 24. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. This is how we'll start. First Corinthians nine twenty four. <clears throat> so again, keep all of that big picture stuff at the forefront of your mind. Think about your own life. Make it personal. And think about what Paul wrote here. It's wonderful perspective to add to what we've been studying as of late. First Corinthians nine twenty four reads, "Do you not know that in a race?" All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So, run that you may obtain it. Run as if you're going to win. Run hard, in other words. Run to win this race. Life is short. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The Spirit's essentially saying, let us run with a purpose. You see, he said, I don't box as just, you know, this type of thing. I don't box beating the air. I don't run aimlessly. I have a purpose. There's an end goal. I run to win. I box to win. I do, and it's just an athletic analogy, right? I do these things to do it right, lest I be disqualified. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to do what some people do in like the marathons, right? There's a big loop. Some people cut across the middle, right? Or they jump in in the last mile and they're doing the hero run. I'm like, how is that dude? It'd be like me running, finishing first in the Boston Marathon. All right. People would be like, how is that dude running that fast at the end of this, right? I don't think that's funny, people, that you're laughing at me that way, because it could happen. <laughs> right? We are supposed to run to win, to box by the rules, so that at the end of it, we're not disqualified. And the principle being taught here is that you run with a purpose. Everyone in here whether you realize it or to whatever degree you realize it in your five, 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 you know, five decades, whatever, however long, you, whether you realize it or not, you have a real purpose. And God has left you personally. This isn't just some group discussion where we're all like, yay, we all have a purpose. No, personally, he's left you here for a reason. Find your purpose in the word of God. Find your purpose in the Word of God and pray to the Lord God for understanding and wisdom. 
on why he has chosen to leave you personally here on earth after saving you. Make it personal. Okay? All right, changing gears. We've been studying Proverbs 17 as of late, and I shared with you on Thursday that this course of study isn't random whatsoever. In fact, we're on this because the Spirit prompted it through my own personal reading of the Bible. So I'll give you that principle I gave you on Thursday evening on reading your own Bible. If I can get it to change. All right. The value of reading your Bible. Daily reading of the Bible often results in the most profound realizations. That's why the Spirit's been prompting you to do it for so long now. Read your Bible. If it is used by the Spirit to guide a, a pastor in his office, it can certainly be used to guide you. So keep on reading your Bible now more than ever. Okay, go to Proverbs 17, verse 1. Hopefully you still have that tab there or the... the string or whatever, whatever your Bible has or something, as we're going to keep coming back to Proverbs 17. So Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet, in other words, better to have not much with quiet than a bunch, a house full of feasting with strife. Better to have the prior than the latter, Okay. For whatever reason, the Spirit has had us parked on this one verse. And in particular, he's highlighted the following up here on the board. We humans have a really bad habit of forgetting where we came from. Now, I know there's a leap there, but that's where parts one, two, and three come in, right? I know there's a leap there, but hopefully you've been following along and the connective tissue is there in your own soul. We humans have a really bad habit of forgetting where we came from. So let me give you one of the Old Testament passages we've pondered up here on the board. I'll give you the message this time. Deuteronomy 6, verse 10 through 12. When God, your God, ushers you into the land he promised through your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, you're going to walk into large, bustling cities you didn't build. Well-furnished houses you didn't buy. Come upon wells you didn't dig. Hopefully you see a pattern here. Continued up here on the board. Vineyards and olive orchards you didn't plant. So you're responsible, in other words, for none of the blessings. When you take it all and settle down, pleased and content, make sure you don't forget how you got there. <laughs> make sure you don't forget how you got there. In other words, don't become familiar. Don't forget where you came from, hence our previous point. God brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I mean, that's the same for us, right? We were in the slave market of sin, and he saved us. He delivered us as believers. Let us not forget where we came from. Again, as we continue to ponder the big picture, while keeping the past five weeks, five years, five decades in view up here on the board, we humans have a really bad habit of forgetting where we came from. And this isn't about chastising you, right? It's not a Sunday morning beatdown where how dare you forget where you came from. This is about your blessing. When this happens to you, you lose. 
That's the point. It's self-inflicted suffering. You, you suffer loss when you become familiar, when you forget where you came from. That's the point the Spirit's making. But the question, the deeper question is, okay, I get that, but why are we like this? I mean, if we know that this is the truth, why are we like this? Well, at least this came out last time. Because we're fickle. We're fickle. Uh, our affections change constantly. What we love today, we abhor tomorrow. And what we abhor today, we love tomorrow. That's us. That's human. That's humans. That's the human condition. That's us. Our affections change constantly. Sadly, sometimes it, it uh, includes human beings. I love you the next day. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. Which is horrible. Right? Which is horrible. Because, let's face it, as we continue with this study, if you're the person that flip-flops like that, you know that it's about you. It has nothing to do with that person. It's everything to do with you. If you love someone one day and hate them the next, and love and hate and let, that has nothing to do with them. That's you. You're miserable. You're a selfish lover. Right? That's the problem. But maybe he'll say more about that as we go. So just reflect with me for a moment. Our greatest weakness as human beings, a la the point on the board, is that our human flesh is highly distractible, making us what we would call temptable. We're highly temptable. We can be doing so well, and we get tempted away. We're highly distractible, and when we fail, that temptation gives birth to sin. Let's see that in Holy Scripture. Go to James 1, 12. James 1, verse 12. We might as well see this in Holy Scripture. Again, it starts with temptation. Temptation itself is not counted a sin, at least not by biblical standards. It's the precursor. It's that magnetic force. It's that draw towards sin, but it's not sin itself. Someone else might be sinning and tempting you as an outside influence, but that's on them, not you. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. You know, when a temptation comes in. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. You ready for this? You ready for you blame game people? By his own desire. Scratching record. Right? Everybody who likes to blame everybody else for their failures. What did we just read? Okay, let's read it again just in case we missed it. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Hmm, up here on the board, let me help if you're still missing it. By his own desire, don't blame others for your sins. Don't blame others for your sins. Don't say stuff like, oh, that person tempted me and I was totally helpless. Don't say that thing, that person tempted me and I was totally helpless. Fact. Temptation only exists because you are temptable. 
In other words, by your own desire. In other words, if you didn't have a, 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 a fickleness about you, if you didn't have a, a, a tendency, or to use a big word, a propensity for a certain kind of wrongdoing, guess what? You wouldn't be temptable in that area. Whose fault is that? Who's responsible for it? Let's put it that way. Whose desire is it? Whose fallen nature is in view? Whose lust pattern is in view? You get the point? By his own desire. Don't blame others for your sins. Don't say, oh, that person tempted me and I was totally helpless. Fact is, temptation only exists because you are temptable by your own desire. And here's everybody's, here's a summary. You sin because you want to. That's it. Don't blame somebody else for your sin. You sin because you want to. In that moment, you might say, but I really don't want to. You do. You do it because you want to do it. You do that thing because it's what you want to do in that moment. Maybe big picture, you know, you sit back later on, you're like, I really didn't want to do that, like Paul wrote, right, in Romans 7. I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things I don't want to do. I get it. We all get it, right? But in that moment, when temptation's overwhelming, you know, when you're falling into temptation and temptation gives birth to sin, you want it. You want it. That's a fact. Okay? Look at verse 14 again. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, this is interesting. I'll give you a little clarity on that up here on the board. Brings forth death. Some people are like, oh, man, am I going to die? You could, the sin unto death, that is a possibility, but I believe there's more, than, there's more in view, there's a pattern in view, a principle in view here. Uh, the vector of sin is always death, regardless of the sense in which we ponder it. For example, sin in the garden resulted in spiritual and physical death. Why? That's the vector of sin. It's always to death. Sin for a believer can result in physical death. We call that the sin unto death. In other words, it's God only knows what that sin is, or sins, plural, is. We don't know what that is for ourselves, but we know that God can take us out. If he gets fed up enough, if you want to say it that way, he can take us out, even a believer, and say, all right, you're done, <laughs> and take you out. We call that the sin unto death. And sin for a believer can result in degradation of fellowship with God. In other words, experience the throes of spiritual death. Remember, when we, when we move away from spiritual life to spiritual death, experientially speaking, we move away from the blessings of abiding in the sphere of God back to the experiential sense of abiding in the curses of abiding or in that sphere of sin, if you would, or, th or spiritual death, which is really tantamount one to the other. So on the assumption that you're a believer, you're hearing my voice and you're a believer, on that assumption, it's this last instance in view for us today. Okay? I just lost my slides, guys. Um, when a believer sins, we suffer for it. Concentrate on what the Spirit's saying through my voice. Okay? When a believer sins, we suffer for it. That is the point the Spirit's making here. And also, God is not mocked. We reap what we sow. Let me repeat that. When a, hey, guys, talk less. 
I can hear you all the way back here, up here. When a believer sins, we suffer for it. And God is not mocked. We reap what we sow. Let me go back to my slide. Sorry, folks. This is the stuff we're dealing with. Let me know when you guys are ready, DJ. Sorry, folks. We're going to go as is. When a believer sins, we suffer for it. Again, God is not mocked. We reap what we sow. If we sin, listen, if we sin, we suffer. There is no debate. There's no arguing. No, as Satan would have you do, there's no lawyering with the holy God of the universe on this topic. If you sin, ultimately you suffer. In other words, let's make it personal. That little thing you did not too long ago that you think you got away with, God saw it. That little thought you had, God heard it. That little ungodliness that you're planning, that you're currently planning, God knows it. God is not mocked. Let's just... And the Bible says you reap what you sow. And the Bible says that sin leads you to that area of spiritual death. It leads to death. Here's my advice to you on this. Let me see if I can get my slides back up. <clears throat> if not, we're just going to run. Are you guys getting anything back there? What? Nothing? Toast? Yeah, I'm not. Hold on. I got nothing, guys. So I'm just going to go without my slides. So you guys are going to have to imagine slides from here on out. Just leave that one up. Yep. So here's my advice to you on this last point. Wisdom. You ready? Wisdom. And imagine there's a slide. Do yourself a favor and avoid the guaranteed suffering that comes with sin by avoiding the cause of it in the first place, namely sinning. Again, here's, I mean, this is like no-brainer, right? But for whatever reason, we have to be told these things. Do yourself a favor and avoid the guaranteed suffering that comes with sin by avoiding the cause of it in the first place, namely the sin, a la James 1.15. Look at James 1.15. What does it say? It says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin, uh, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Brings forth death. Again, this is our previous point. The vector of sin is always death, regardless of the sense in which we ponder it. For example, for example, sin in the garden resulted in spiritual and physical death. Sin for a believer can result in physical death. That's the sin unto death. But for our purposes this morning, 
Sin for a believer can result in degradation of fellowship with God. In other words, we can experience the throes of spiritual death. And just like I had alluded to moments ago, James cautions us. Look at verse 16. He says, you see all that? You see what I just presented to you? You see what I just wrote? He, then what does he say? Very simply, verse 16. Do not be deceived. Done. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. It's the same language, right? In Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. That's Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived, ever. And I say this for your benefit, for your blood. I'm not some, look, I'm imperfect just like you are. I'm not condemning your sin. I'm not your judge. I'm trying to save you some trouble. Do you understand? That's the point. I'm going to take one more stab at this, guys. Otherwise, stop it, okay? Because it's becoming a huge distraction. Yeah, just stop, okay? Thank you for trying, though. James 1.16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do you remember our 74-part series on the deceitfulness of sin? 74 parts. Think about that. 74 parts were ordained by the holy God of the universe on the deceitful. And you remember, it wasn't, it wasn't, we didn't study sin proper. It wasn't like this discourse on like uh, homardiology. It wasn't, it wasn't on sin, it was on that first word. It was on the deceitfulness of sin. It was on the insidiousness of sin. It was on the uh, sin's ability, we personified it, sin's ability to hide out and stay just under the radar so that, you know, huge red flags didn't go off. Just under the radar, you see? That's the deceitfulness of sin. A lot of people that are living in sin aren't like fully, even often, aware of it. And don't take that cop out either. Like, I wasn't aware of it. Yeah, you kind of were, right? Weren't completely uh, engaged with the idea that they were living in sin. Why? Because sin is very deceitful. So again, do you remember how the Spirit personified sin itself? Do it again. Like, think of sin as like a person with, you know, human qualities, right? With emotions, with motives for the moment, okay? So he personified sin itself so that you could better understand the nature of it. In summary, if we do that, sin is a master at not only tempting you in one way, but orchestrating a complex of temptations in order to grease the skids for the one that really will harm you. Does that make sense? In other words, sin, if we're to personify it, is smart enough, manipulative enough, insidious enough, evil enough, not just to say, hey, I'm going to punch you right in the jaw. Is that good for you? No. No, I'm going to do all these other little things to sort of grease the skids. I'm going to make certain things normal in your life that are actually unholy. Do you understand? We're going we're gonna to do this thing. Just watch TV for an hour. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? I'm just going to grease the skids. I'm just going to numb you out a little bit. Right? Nothing huge. But when it's time for that big thing that I really want to accomplish in you to happen, you'll be so numbed out 
by the complex of other little sins that it'll just, you'll let it happen. Because the delta will only be this far, you see. Again, sin is a master at not only tempting you in one way, but orchestrating a complex of temptations in order to grease the skids for the one that can really harm you. In other words, again, James 1.16, do not be deceived into thinking that sin is a one-trick pony. That is very dangerous. Sin is not a one-trick pony. If it were, we'd, be, we'd probably sin a lot less, in all fairness. Sin is insidious because it blankets us with temptation. So reflect about this. Why do you think the Bible uses the seductress woman? Why do you think the Bible uses the seductress woman as a principal example of illustrating temptation? Why do you think that is? It's because her lying, flattering lips are but one sin that is used to precipitate the much greater sin of, say, adultery or just, you know, sex outside of marriage in general. Right? It starts with flattery. Right? It starts with, you know, words. Remember, the tongue is the most dangerous weapon of all. It starts that way. That's why the Bible constantly uses that as an analogy to sin and to falling prey to sinful living even. It's because of the seduction engine, if you would, that happens. You know, a good person isn't seduced uh, in a moment. It usually takes some time. Do you understand? It's, it's a little flattery here and a little flattery there and a little, you know, a little touch here and a little hug there and a little, you know, and then things sort of, you understand what I'm saying, right? That thing happens. That's how sin takes hold of you. And that's why the Bible uses that as an as a illustration, as, um, you know, as, a, as the seduction of, uh, of a woman even, Towards a man. It can go both directions. So I'm just speaking the way the Bible speaks on this. So again, again, it's their lying, flattering lips. Um, they're just one sin that's used to precipitate the greater one. Or how about this, though? How about maybe, just maybe, it has nothing to do with sex. That's our illustration, but maybe, just maybe, it has nothing to do with sex. Maybe she's just trying to control you. And I have my notes here, you big dummy. <laughs> right? Maybe this has nothing to do with sex. Maybe sex is just the vehicle that a seductress woman uses to control a man. Or vice versa, okay? In fall fairness. So women don't be giving me daggers here. Right? I'm just using the example the Bible uses. Maybe it has nothing at all to do with sex. Maybe it has everything to do with control. Does that bring up any word, DJ? Oh, he's, thank you. Tashuka. Right? He's like, man, you put me on the spot. My stuff just flunked. Right? Is it still streaming at least? Oh, good, 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 good. Maybe it's about control. I remember when I used to run the Bible studies, the big ones, right? Uh, and uh, we used to always have a laugh about it's all about control. Right? It's always all about control. What, it's, it's, it's just Tashuka, over and over and over again. Tashuka, the, the, that desire of sin to dominate. And sin has no scruples, 
So of course it'll use seductive means. Of course it'll use something as uh, primitive as sex even to control. So that's the insidiousness and the deception that sin poses. Okay? So that's Tashuka. Again, this is analogous to how sin works. Sin's got a grand goal in mind. You ready? It's to take you away from the Word of God and to destroy your fellowship with Him through, or through your husband, Jesus Christ. Destroy your fellowship, let's say, with your husband. That's the intent of sin. Jesus Christ, our husband, is our master. He is our rightful master. Amen? Okay, what does sin want to do? Sin wants to be master. So what can sin do to relieve the first master? Take you away from him. Take your eyes off of him. Lose sight of your, your actual husband. You understand what's going on? That's seduction. That's how it works. And so that's sin. But here's the point. It doesn't always present itself uh, that plainly, does it? In order to achieve the greater goal, it's got to gain your confidence. It's got to convince you that it's currently, uh, what it's currently tempting you with. Uh, well, you know, it's not that bad. Okay, maybe it's a little, you know, maybe it's a little wrong. But it's not like a big thing. Look at every, look at, look at my neighbor. They're like a mess. Look at what they're doing. At least it, what we're about to do, it's not that bad, right? And it's just, just a little, you know, eh, eh, a little ratchet, just a little ratchet. No, 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 no. You know, and even if you, tr and if you try hard enough, you might even be able to justify it, like some people do, right? Always lawyering. Oh, that's not that bad. I can, I can do this thing. I mean, you know, it says this, but it doesn't say that. Boy, you sound just like Satan, right? The Bible says this. Well, you know the right thing to do. I do, but it doesn't say this. Yeah, but you know the right thing to do. Yeah, but it doesn't say this. And you're always lawyering, trying to what? Justify. Maybe you're not so bold as to justify that big thing right away, but eventually you know what, where the vector of sin is heading. Right? The Bible says, mess around with that woman and you end up in Sheol, in the grave. That's the vector of sin, death. And you're seduced towards it. So if you try hard enough, you, can, you might even be able to justify it. Sin is patient. It's got all day, all week, all month to work on you. As the Bible says, do not be deceived. Some of you are like, what the heck is this guy talking about? I don't know. It's possible. I doubt it. I doubt it. I'm pretty sure everybody in here knows what I'm talking about. But in America, if it's not about sex, it's often about money or power, which are almost the same thing, but we'll leave that for another day. It's not about sex. It's about money. So maybe you've been tempted to take on a new job. I don't know. You're drawn to the money or, and or the prestige of it. And maybe you have put in a few extra hours. But it's not that much, right? It's not, it's not that much. I mean, it's just a few extra hours here and there, right? So you can get, you know, the promotion or that job or whatever. I just got to put a, you know, 10 extra hours or 20 extra hours a week. It's not that much. 
And the next thing you know, your home life starts to suffer. And even worse, you stop taking in the Word of God. You stop being able to make Bible class. You stop reading the blogs, etc., etc. You stop reading your Bible. All that good stuff starts happening. What's our primary verse again? Go back to Proverbs 17, verse 1. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Don't look up here at the stubborn guy. I was trying to sneak in another attempt. Well, they're turned. Of course, they turn to the one they get the bookmark at, so bad choice. Anyways, Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Are you still confused? Is it, isn't it obvious, once the light of truth is shined on the deceitfulness of sin, what its goal is, up here, oh, I don't have it up here on the board, but here's a slide, imagine it. The goal of sin, the goal of sin is to take you away from the word of truth. Anything or anyone that does that to you ought to be considered a friend of sin. Sin is powerless for as long as you're steadfast in the faith. Again, the goal of sin is to take you away from the word of truth. Anything or anyone that does that to you ought to be considered a friend of sin. Sin is powerless for as long as you're steadfast in the faith. 1 Corinthians 16.13, 2 Corinthians 1.24, Galatians 5.1, Ephesians 6.13. By the way, all these slides will be posted as the outline on the webpage. Okay, so don't worry. Don't sweat about taking all this stuff down. It's on the webpage always. Go to 1 Corinthians 16.13, though. 1 Corinthians 16.13. Again, what's your, what's your defense against this thing? Well, sin is trying to take you away from the word of truth. Your defense is to stay steadfast in the word of truth. Your defense against this seduction engine called sin, if you want to think of it that way, is to stay in the word, not allow sin to take you further away from the word. Anything that does that, you need to hack it off. That's what Jesus said. Remember, cut it off. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. That's how you thwart the intent or the goal of sin. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Go to 2 Corinthians 1, 24. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 24. Again, the goal of sin, that's all we're saying here. You know, sin is powerless for as long as you're steadfast in the faith. This is the scriptural backing for that. Second Corinthians 1.24 reads, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. How about go to Galatians 5, verse 1. Galatians 5, verse 1. Galatians 5.1 For freedom, for freedom uh, uh, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, 
and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You see? That's how you avoid it. That's how you avoid the goal of sin even. You stand firm in your faith and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Go to Ephesians 6.13, lest you lose your freedom, as Galatians 5 said. Ephesians 6.13. Ephesians 6.13 reads, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Right? How do you do that? You do that with the word of God. Take up the whole armor of God. That's a reference to the word of God even. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to what? Stand firm. The beauty about taking in the word of God is it becomes the support structure. The weight of the world is heavy, right? Temptation has a, has a weightiness to it, does it not? You feel weighed by it. Well, when the infrastructure that, that withstands it is the word of God, you're relieved. So the very best thing you can do is build that infrastructure, right? The brick and mortar around you. Let, let, let the word of God hold the weight of that stuff away from you. Right? Jesus said, cast all your anxieties on me, or well, the word says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Right? Put all your anxiety on me, says the Lord. Right? Let me support the pressure of life. Stand firm in the word. Again, the goal of sin is to take you away from the word of truth. And I'll say it again. He's been saying this a lot lately. What that means for you personally, I don't know. Only God knows. But anything or anyone that does that to you ought to be considered a friend of sin. Sin is powerless for as long as you are steadfast in the faith. Now, reflect for a moment. Our greatest weakness as human beings is that our human flesh is temptable. And when we fail, that temptation gives birth to sin. That's where this sidebar, if you would, started with James 1.15, if you recall. All right, getting back to the instigating thought at the start of this message, what was it? Why? We're fickle, right? Why are we so fickle? Why do we, why do we allow sin to divert our attention, our affections, and therefore draw us away from the word of God towards the throes of spiritual death? Why do we allow that thing to happen? Why do we, have that, why do we allow that complex of events to actually transpire? If we know the end result is, is guaranteed, Loss of blessings, increase in suffering, uh, misery, all that. What's wrong? Why are we so fickle? That was the instigating point. Well, we have what I would call spiritual ADD, right? And no offense. I have ADD, so no offense. Because we're terribly temptable. We're like, oh, did you see that? Oh, I'm looking at Christ. Oh, oh, oh. That's us. We're constantly distracted. And in America, guess what? It's one of the curses. There are a thousand and one distractions every single day. And that's just what's on your so-called smartphone. I have I, now officially dubbed them dumb phones. Because they're not smart at all. They make you dumb. They're dumb. They make you dumb because you let them distract you. Huh, let's see, I can continue watching YouTube like a, a, a brainless lard bomb, a piece of lard, right? 
Or I can open up my Bible and actually be fortified. No, I think it's real easy just to be entertained by some idiot on YouTube. Right? I don't know. Has that ever happened to you? I'm not speaking from experience because that's never happened to me. <laughs> I mean, that's just your smartphone. The smartphone is like a, like a giant syringe. It's like, right? It's like, oh, yeah. Filled with the world. Filled with sewage. Do not be blind to the fact that the kingdom of darkness has designed this world. It doesn't, it's not just per chance, okay? It's designed to distract you, to take advantage of this very weakness, that we're uber-temptable. What hope do we have? Well, the good news is the Bible gives us perfect hope through clear instruction. Go to Romans 12, 21. Romans 12, verse 21. We have hope. And we have very clear instruction. It's not like he says, good luck. I've saved you. You're going out to the wolves. Good luck. Uh, read John 17 when you go home today. Right? Especially about the, the part where the word equips us. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil. But do what? Overcome evil with good. So that needs to be our mindset always. Overcome evil with good. And like the Spirit taught us recently, using this very verse, this verse uh, imagine another slide, but overcome evil with good. You don't have to actively or exhaustingly try to overcome evil by force. You simply leave it be and turn to good. Good is light, and light extinguishes darkness without fail. Again, the summary, turn to good. Just simply turn to good. We call that repent. Just turn to good. So you're facing, you're, you're literally facing evil. Maybe you've even been engaged with it. Maybe you've been living in sin even. You're never going to beat that thing. Sin specializes in overcoming you. And what does the Bible say? Overcome that, overcome evil with what? With good. But you're not strong enough on your own. But God gives us a way out, a way of deliverance. He says, just turn away from it. I'll take care of that. You leave the wrath of, to me. I'll take care of that abomination, whatever it is, that thing or person that's taking you away from the word of God. I'll take care of that on my own terms. You just worry about turning back to my son. You just turn your affections back to him, your husband. So you've been an adulterous fool. Turn back to him. Here was the sister principle from that same message in May. It was on covert arrogance. Listen closely. You are going to get zero help from your flesh or any enemy of Christ in discovering areas of covert arrogance in yourself, for this is one of the flesh's strongholds, and the very means of it continues to have influence of you. Do you understand what I just said? Covert arrogance. Again, you're going to get zero help from your flesh, in discovering these areas, the discovering the deceitfulness of sin in your own life. The flesh is going to try to hide the whole thing out. Remember, right under the radar. No flags. Right here. Right? Some of you are like, I know a person like that. They're in my life. They always stay right here. They're always tempting me to do something evil, but they don't ever throw any red flags. And if I approach them on it, they say, oh, no, that's not what I meant. 
You, you see what I'm getting at? It's always like right here. You're not going to get any help, in other words, trying to wrangle with your sin nature, with your flesh. You turn from it. You let God deal with that whole thing. You turn away from evil. You repent from it, you turn to good. That's the strategy. That's how you overcome evil with good. That's Romans 12, 21. We learned that not so long ago. The second point, how do we do this thing? The second is a friendly reminder as to where we draw our strength and our confidence and our resolution to repent from. Go to Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13. All right, that's good. Okay, that's good. Where do I get this strength, though? Because I'm pretty weak. I'm pretty weak. Well, we just spent a lot. I can't remember the number, but the Lord is our confidence. I want to say it was 80 parts, right, roughly? So it's not a shocker that after 80 parts, all we learned in that 80 parts of the Lord is our confidence, that Philippians 4.13 literally exists as a summary. How do I do? How do I turn away from? Well, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He becomes my confidence, my hope, my living hope. When I turn to him, I'm guaranteed success. So concentrate. It's upon the strength of our relationship with Christ that we're able to overcome the insidiousness of sin. That's why we take in the Word of God. He is called the Logos. He's the capital L, right? Logos in the Greek means the Word. He's the capital L. He's the Word. John 1.14, the Word became flesh. He is the Word. We take in this right here, my friends. This is it. This is the value of it. You want a relationship with Christ? You take this in. He's the very bread of life. This is Him. He's disclosed Himself in Holy Scripture. Remember, it's the Spirit of Christ that inspired this. That's the mind of Christ. That's why we take it in. You want a relationship with him? You want to be strong enough to repent from that evil thing, from that sinfulness in your life? You can do it through him. He says, well, I've given you my word. John 17, sanctify them truth. Thy word is truth. See, I did a spoiler alert for you. That's what he says. So we have a means of actually doing this thing. It's upon the strength of our relationship with Christ that we're able to overcome the insidiousness of sin. We never make the mistake of trying to wrestle it to the ground all on our own. We don't engage with sin or the source of it to try to overcome it. We simply turn away from it. And I hope you see the difference. And to borrow from the adulterous example, you don't meet up with her, or to be fair with him, ladies, okay, I don't want any daggers, you don't meet up with her in a bedroom and say, hey, we're just going to talk this out. We've been living in sin. We're just going to talk this out while you're sitting on a bed. Um, we are far too weak as human beings to be in close company or proximity with sin and expect to come out unscathed. You do not have that power. That is a fact. That's not... Ed Collins speaking, that's God. That's what he says. He says, flee from youthful lust. Don't put yourself in that situation for a reason. Why? Because you will fail. It's guaranteed. It's not kind of, it's not maybe. You will fail. <laughs> because you've already ejected yourself from the power system that's, a lot, that's able to deliver you. You get it? You say, I'm going to make a conscious decision to leave 
through him, I can do all things through him, I'm going to leave that behind, that power system, and I'm going to say, through me. I'm going to magically come up with some power that's stronger than sin. It's not going to happen. It literally is not going, you will fail because you're far too weak. Hmm. So here's the winning strategy. If our Lord's voice is always with us, let me make this even more tactile, more um, relatable. If the Lord's voice is always with us, in other words, if you're sitting in front of something, a temptation, and all you hear is the Lord saying, don't do it. You're my wife. I love you. I'm the one who chose to marry you. I'm right here. Remember I wrote that blog, that, that awful one, about when you're sinning, it's like dragging Christ himself into bed with you, with sin. He's right there. When you have his voice with you and he's saying, I love you. This thing or this person, they don't love you like I love you. I love you. They're being selfish. It's being selfish. It's trying to overcome you. It's trying to tashuka, right? It's trying to overwhelm you right now. I love you. I'm your husband. When you hear his voice, you're not going to do that thing. Well, how about this? If the aroma of him is still fresh in your mind, if the aroma of him is still fresh in your mind, the last thing you want to do to him is dishonor him, your beloved husband. You see, sin, sin seduces us. But, and here's the big but, not big but, but here's the big but. You can laugh. Everybody's kind of getting kind of tense right now. All right. <laughs> here's the big but, right? Eddie got a big old butt. No, nobody? Anyway. So, that's like from the 80s, I think. Sin, sin cannot seduce us. Listen, in all seriousness, I only do that to loosen you up. Sin cannot seduce us if we're so in love with Jesus Christ that no one and no thing can tempt us away from him. Sin cannot seduce us if we're so in love with Jesus Christ. And I mean in that moment, too. I mean, you can hear him. You have the sweet aroma of him on you, right? Remember in duo to put him on? You're wearing him. If, if that's you, sin doesn't have a chance in that moment. Doesn't, it can't tempt you away from him. Let that sink in. Here's our guidance on love. Romans 12, 9. Actually, since I don't have a slide, go there, please. Romans 12, verse 9. I had a slide. I did some work for you, but Todd screwed it up. See, Todd doesn't love you the way I love you. He said, I don't love those people. They're not going to get any slides today. He said that. <laughs> he didn't say that. Obviously, he didn't say that. It was Michael. <laughs> I was confused. <laughs> Anyways, Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Remember I gave you the original Greek? It was not phony. 
sincere and free from hidden agendas or selfish motives. Literally, without hypocrisy, unfeigned. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Let your love be genuine, in other words. Now, the beauty of loving this way, beginning, of course, with loving Jesus, is that we are blessed for it. Again, this morning's message is not a beatdown. It may be an eye-opening experience. It may be a, oh, yeah. It's more about getting you back to him. That's what he's doing. It, didn't we just talk about that conceptually? That's what the word is meant to do? The world is designed to take you away. The word brings you back. This is through you. This is through him. This is weak. This is strong. This is failure. This is success. You get it? He's just doing this. He's like, turn away from that. And here, don't try to wrestle with it. Don't make this about, oh, i got to get my dukes up and wrestle out sin so I can get back to the Lord. No, he just said, leave that around. I'll take care of that. You just come back to me. Hear my voice. Smell the sweet aroma of who I am, your beloved husband, your perfect husband. So the beauty of loving this way is that we are blessed for it. And not just in the sense that we've avoided the pitfalls of sin, and the guaranteed suffering that comes with it. We learned about that in the beginning of the message. But God promises us blessings. We're not just void of those things, but we're added to us. It's added to our account. For example, as we noted on Thursday, the blessing of love. Giving love is actually a greater blessing than receiving it. Acts 20, 35, right? It's more blessed to give than receive. This is opposite of what the world suggests. And I'm getting close here. Let me make one more, one last point on this subject, and I need you to concentrate. You ready? You concentrating? Scott, you ready? I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to the other Scott. He's so self-absorbed, so egocentric. <laughs> Sin always begins with something selfish. Sin always begins with something selfish. Remember at the beginning of the message, he said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't be blaming other people. You want to do this thing. I don't care. I don't care if you're, I'm not even going to say it. I don't even, it, it's you, okay? I was going to give you an example, but there's too many pitfalls in it. Suffice to say, sin always begins with something selfish. We want to do something that God has said no to. You know, Allah in the garden, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? Why chief from it? Because she wanted to. Right? What did they do? What did they try to do? They tried to blame the serpent. Right? And then, then Adam blamed the woman. <laughs> the, the woman you gave me did it. She made me eat it. What do you mean? Did she put it up to your mouth? You want like that? <laughs> no. Well, what are you doing? You chose to eat it. The serpent stuffed it in your mouth, Eve? No. Well, then you're responsible. So stop blaming people. You wanted to eat the fruit. That's why you ate it. You wanted to eat the forbidden fruit. You were seduced, yes. Looking back, yes. But you allowed yourself to follow through. So I hold you, account I hold you accountable personally, says God. Don't complain about how, you know, seductive the thing was. The simple fact is you chose it. So, sin always begins with something selfish. Okay? Selfishness is not interested in giving, only receiving. 
but the point that would have been on the board, if DJ loved you more, says that the ble- is the blessing of love, right? Do you see how this is antithetical to that point? In other words, selfishness is not interested in giving. It's only interested in receiving. The point is that giving love is actually a greater blessing than receiving it. And that's the opposite of what the world suggests. Sin doesn't entice us with love that gives. It tempts us with love that receives. It says, see there, you can have unholy intercourse with that person right now. Just think about how great that would be for you. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what sin is. Sin says, don't look at your husband, capital H, or maybe little h even, if you're married, but don't look at your husband, capital H, because if you look at him and you hear his voice and you, and you can still smell him on your skin, there's no way I'm going to get this done in you, right? says sin. I need you to forget him for a moment, right? Sin doesn't entice us with love that gives. It tempts us with love that receives. It says you can have unholy intercourse with that person right now. Just think about how great that would be for you. Doesn't matter that you're contributing to the delinquency of another human being. Sin says just focus on you. Temptation. Sin tempts us to focus on us, not others. Have you ever not done a sin because, in all fairness, you said, I don't want to hurt that other person? And it's okay to say yes. I mean, we're not all that unbelievably wretched, right? There's some good. We might say, I couldn't do that thing because I don't want to hurt another person. In other words, maybe you do actually esteem another person as more important than yourself for a change. And you say, you know, I really would like to do this sin, but I can't do it because I care too much about another person even to do it. Sin doesn't want you thinking like that. Sin wants you to be complete abandoned to anything good. Abandon all other people, including and starting with Jesus, your true husband, and only think about yourself. If I can get you in that spot, I can get you to sin. So sin tempts us to focus on us, not others. That is to love ourselves more than others. This is opposite of what the Bible teaches us. Hence our previous verse. Let love be genuine. Okay, that's as deep as we're going to go. And I want to wrap up here this morning on the topic. But let's uh, go back to Proverbs 17.1. I'm still not going to make it through all my notes, but that's okay. He's had a lot to say. As you can tell by the, even with your mask on, the look of your faces. Your body language. Some of you look like you got wood up your spine right now. <laughs> Talk about me. It's been three months. He's talking about me again. How does he know? Yeah. I don't know. That's the spirit. All right. Let's gather up our thoughts and then I'll close. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Remember, this all started out with just affections, right? It started a whole discourse on affections. What, like, why would anybody choose strife? Well, I have a real affection for goodies. My affections aren't with Christ anymore. They're with my wants, right? You see, a dry morsel, God has met your needs, right? And you have quiet. Okay, that sounds godly to me. should be content no matter what. But then this other option, 
which includes strife, and, but a lot of stuff, well, that doesn't seem godly. It's just about affections. He's like, I will meet your needs and you'll be totally content. Or you can go the world's way, leave my son behind. You can go the world's way and be enticed and tempted and blah, blah, blah. It's all about affections. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, right? So the point the Spirit's building up here is that love is at the root of our affections, whatever they may be. We're fickle, remember. So we love one thing. And our heart is where our treasure is. And for example, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that in the end, our escape from the pitfalls of loving ourselves more than others is the word of truth. That's our escape. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? Overcome evil with good. With the word, we have sweet fellowship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'll just reflect and I'll share this with you. As I was preparing this, I was thinking, have you ever hugged someone? And maybe the most, um, the purest ones are like, if you had a good, you know, grandfather or maybe a grandmom or someone that, someone that was much older than you when you, maybe you were a kid or something like that, and you just adored this person, right? It, it might not be that person. It could be someone, I don't know, but you know what I'm saying. Have you ever hugged someone and you, you absolutely love and their cologne or their perfume stays on you for a while? And later on, you can still smell it on you. You can still smell that thing on you. And you smile because it makes you think of them. Ever? Never? I'm the only one? That's never happened to anybody? Thank you. I would have thought maybe one of my kids, right, with me. I hug Dad, you know. Dad, it's always you, right? It's your cologne. It's like, you know, I just think of you and I smile. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Batting zero. <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying, though, right? It's just the aroma of that person is still with you. And it makes you smile. That's what I mean when I say that if we keep on taking in the word, it's like hugging Jesus. Right? And when, even when we step away from that level of intimacy with him, his, his scent remains on us. He, he remains with us. You know what I mean? If a woman can still smell the scent of her husband while a seducer is trying to lure her away, she's much less likely to even bat an eye at that scumbag. Let me say it again. If a woman can still smell the scent of her husband while a seducer is trying to lure her away, she's much less likely to even bat an eye at that scumbag. And I say scumbag in the moment. Okay? And vice versa. Change the rules if you'd like, the genders. Goes both ways. What the Spirit's saying, though, in closing, is keep an eye on your affections. Keep an eye on your affections. One last, you still in Proverbs 17, 1? Okay. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. One final summary point, and I think this is where I'll end. Yeah, definitely. When you talk about wealth, well, let's, let's make it um, anything that you might desire. Okay? Can wealth be a blessing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you're evil. Not even in a long shot. It's what you think of the blessings. It's how you receive 
the blessings. It's especially if you have the capacity for the blessings. That's what counts is according to God. That's why you can't judge anybody for having money. That's, that's ungodly. That's between them and the Lord, right? That's between them and the Lord. Here's the point. Wealth should first be considered a test. That's the very first thing. If you come into money, it should first be considered a test. What was the litmus test I gave you earlier? Anything or anyone. Well, wealth is a thing. Anything that takes you away from the Word of God should be considered a friend of sin. Anything. Wealth is probably outside of maybe sex in America. Money is probably the other huge distraction. Chasing or striving after the wind. Right? If you don't have the capacity for it, guess, guess what the telltale sign is. You ready? You get taken away from the word of God. If you do not have the capacity for that wealth, I don't care how many times you've told yourself, or your spouse, or your kids, or your friends, or your co-workers, oh, this is totally from God. If it takes you away from the word of God, you do not have the capacity for it. Remember we learned in the Old Testament, oh, he'll bless you out, but he will not bless you with it. He will not, let me say this. He might give you stuff, but not the capacity for it. Do you remember that in the Old Testament? God will do that so that you can come to this morning's message and say, oh, crap, that's me. I have a bunch of stuff that was given to me as an American. I have a job. I have a home. I have a car. I have, I don't know, whatever. I have money in the bank. I have all this stuff, and all it's ever done in my life is taken me away from the Word of God. As I continue to strive after it, to seek after it, all it's ever done, if I'm honest, if I look back, if I'm honest, I might try to displace the blame on other things. So, no, 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 it's not because of the work. It's because of this other thing. If these other things just relaxed a little bit, I could work extra hours, keep the money and have capacity and go, no, 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 no. Do not make excuses. And don't blame other people or other things for your failures. You see how this is all building up? He's using all the principles from this message now to substantiate what I'm saying to you right now. Wealth should be first considered a test. Long before it should be ever considered a blessing. Long before. If, 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 honest to goodness, maybe in closing, you know, what's your first, you know, when, if, if I said to you, hey, guess what? I bought this ticket. You know, uh, uh, what do you, a Powerball, I don't even know what they're called. They're called. Megabucks, it used to be called. One of those Powerball things, it's like $500 million. And I go, you know what? I don't think I want it. I give it to you, and the next day you win. <laughs> right? You win. What's your first instinct? Mine? Oh, I don't even want that kind of money. That's going to be a distraction. Not because I don't have capacity for money, because I do, to a certain degree, I guess. I don't know. To whatever degree God's given it to me, I guess. And even then, I still fail sometimes. What about that thing? If you're like, oh, yeah. And the first thing wasn't like, hey, maybe I could like, I don't know, do good things for the, for the kingdom. It was all about you. Oh, yeah. Right? Come in the parking lot with your gold chain steering wheel and your foot pedal. 
Nobody? I'm the only one of Hispanic uh, background in? Oh. Was that wrong? Was that kind of wrong? That's a cultural thing, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't mean to be like that. You know what I'm saying, right? You guys make me feel bad. <laughs> what would you do with all that money? Honestly, no, in all fairness, would you, would, you, would you pass the test? Would you first go immediately? Okay, this came from America, first of all, which is dominated by Satan. Do I have the capacity for $500 million? <laughs> Do I have the capacity for that thing? That should be your very first question, right? Long before you consider it a blessing. And let's just open it up a little bit. Instead of money, it could be anything that you want. You want this thing, you get it. Somehow the world coughs it up for you. Do you have the capacity for it? And the great litmus, litmus test of all is does it bring you closer to your husband, capital H? Or does it seduce you away from him? Does it bring you closer to the word or farther away? Amen? All right, let's bar heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this morning. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free, Father. Thank you for always being real with us, always making it an inescapable truth about who we are, how we lack, and how your grace and mercy covers that gap, motivated by your love, Father. Bless us with love for you, Father. Bless us with affection for your Son, so that we're not seduced away to our own glory, but rather to your glory. We are deeper and deeper in love with you, for we love because you first loved us. We just pray that we take everything we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls, to our homes even, Father, and your will be done to a world that's just decaying and needs the truth so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.